We're piecing life together. It's a chaotic time. Maybe an amen to that. How do we find a sense of semblance, firm foundation in a time of increasing change? So we decided to find some or mine some biblical truths in a book that Paul wrote to uh, an area called Colossae, and we know it as Colossians, a letter that Paul wrote. Paul is famous in his methodology. Paul always starts usually with a prayer and then th some theology, and then because of this theology, because we've got our heads screwed on right, at least we hope, here's how we live our life. And we haven't quite made our way all the way through to this, here's how we live our life piece, but we've been hovering for the first few weeks in a prayer of Paul and in the theology that sets the stage for how one lives our life, individuals, as communities, and as the church. So today we are going to start to make that move from the immensity of a cosmic Christ into what does this mean for you and I. And it's a great text. I hope you enjoy it. Let me read the text. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 29. Highlight some of the words that I to pull out as we make our way <clears throat> through these. Once, there's a key word, once, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, because of your evil behavior. So once we lived like that, but now. So once we were alienated from God and were enemies of God's in our minds because of our behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. And this is a great little laundry list. Check this out. Now we're reconciled, and because we're reconciled, we're holy in his sight. We are without blemish. We are free of accusation. If we continue in our faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Because this is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now this is interesting. It's kind of peculiar. I always wonder about this next verses like this in Paul's theology. Paul writes this kind of strange thing. Now I re rejoice in what was suffered for you. Now remember way back, Paul's in prison and he's rejoicing he's in jail. And there's no good cause for it. And yet, he writes this encouraging letter saying, I got your back. I'm taking the heat. They think they got the movement in jail, but they really don't. Check this out. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. All right? So let me explain that briefly. Paul's basically saying to this beleaguered, I'm wondering what's going on, the world's in total chaos church. He's saying, I'm in jail. I didn't do anything wrong. Don't worry about it. I'm taking your heat. 
they think they've got the movement under control because I am the leader of the movement. But here's the subversive element of the profundity of this text. What he goes on to say, and I'll read it in a moment, is while they think they've got the movement under control, I'm basically taking the heavy winds for you. And what's going to happen is there's time now for the rest of you, the church, to mature in your faith. Because there's no way you're going to stop the movement. So Paul is given a bad rap sometimes because people say, they appeal to verses like this, and they say, well, Paul was just an egoist. It was all about Paul. I think Paul understood the power paradigms of the day, and he relishes the fact that he's in prison as the leader of the movement because this gives time for the men and women and children and students in Colossae to continue to mature and develop in their faith because they're the ones that are going to take the, the movement to the next level. Right? It's like Paul's, Paul's bearing the brunt of the hurricane. And the rest of the church will be there to pick up the pieces later. And we need time for this to happen. So verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission of God, sorry, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which Christ which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we proclaim him. We admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, and there's no exclusion here, everyone, and everyone, as I read it, means everyone. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, a, it's not just, you know, the perfect people or the pretty people or the Anglo people or the people that speak English. This is, this is a... It's, it's, it's everyone being made perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. All right, so Paul, Paul is a theologian, that's for sure, because a lot of this goes on in the original language with no punctuation. It's the greatest German theologian ever. Have you ever read theologians? They'll write for pages without periods. It's the craziest thing. Any Germans in here? Yes, you are. Am I right? Okay, don't answer that question. Okay, so let's pray and let's peace life together and let's find our ourselves in this story because we are certainly in this story. Loving God. We worship you this day in spirit and truth. Take old words, 2,000-year-old words, make them relevant for us in 2017 because the world was crazy then. The world is also crazy now. What does it mean for us as your people to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be mobilized, and to be unleashed as a subversive movement of the very hands and feet of your Son, Christ, empowered by the Spirit, God, because you will always be glorified. In the strong name of a triune God, we pray. Amen.
Okay, have you ever found yourself in a place that is so big you've just gotten lost? Anybody? Have you ever found yourself in a place that you knew you wanted to go there, and when you got there, you started moving around? Maybe you were hiking, right? And all of a sudden, you realize you kind of lose your senses, your sense of direction, and you wonder where you are. That's what's happening in this text. Let me dramatize this a little bit if I can. Let's take that off for a moment, even though it's cool. Paul's letter to the church of Colossae starts like this. It starts with a prayer. Because when we pray, we begin to set aside all of our own personal, subjective hindrances. We let them go. We release them to the authority and the lordship of God and Jesus Christ. And the burdens of the day, theoretically, begin to lift. And they are taken off of our shoulders. And that's what happens when we pray. And when we pray, sometimes we're so into prayer, at least I'm pretty sure everybody here prays like this, we're so into prayer, we lose track of time. We lose track of spatial dimensions. We lose track of all the things that are irritating me. I mean, not personally, but us. We lose track of how late our kids are for school. I winked at him. I mean, I just, we had this little bromance thing going on right here. And all of a sudden, it's, it's kind of, we're, we're transported into this new realm, this new thin, thin place. And uh, Celtic Christians talk about thin places where there's a the veneer between the spiritual realm heaven and earth gets very very light and sometimes it actually is so elastic that it that it kind of disappears and Paul does this he prays and then all of a sudden we're in this expansive place called the cosmos because Jesus is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. All things are created by him and for him. Christ is before all things. Even before that initial singularity still blows my mind. Remember when we talked about this a few weeks ago? Initial singularity. Physicists say, if you were here two weeks ago, it's still a good reminder, that all of the energy and matter for the entire expanding universe was able to be compressed into something about the size of a sugar cube. And that sugar cube exploded and Everything comes into being. See, Jesus Christ precedes initial singularity. That's how big God really is in Jesus Christ. And we're lost in this infinite space. And we're wandering through life and we're trying to figure out where we are. What's my role in this huge expanse? You ever thought that? You ever said to yourself, why am I here? What's the point? I was talking to my brother yesterday. 
He's not here, so I can share the story. He's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do with his life. Wait, you're a retired Major League Baseball player. But see, there's this, still this looming question, what next in my brother's mind? So there's, I'm sure, for every single one of us here, we've gone to places or found ourselves in these huge, expansive locations, and we come back to reality and we think, where am I? I'm not quite sure. A number of years ago, we, had the, we were living in Minneapolis at the time, and they were going to build this brand new mall. They were going to tear down the old Met Center where the Twins and the Vikings used to play. Remember, you got to, for those of you who are over 50, Twins and the Vikings used to play outside, right? Like, what? It's Minnesota. you got to be kidding me. Whatever you build, friends, make sure there's a lid on top of it, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just like, we can send people to the moon, but we can't put a lid over a stadium. Are you kidding me? So they tear down the old Met Center, and they're going to build the Mall of America. This mall is going to be the biggest mall in the world. And they build the Mall of America. Some of you have been here. Anybody been there? My whole family row there. Hi, guys. That was just so I knew where you were. Okay, I'm glad you made it. How late were you? Just kidding. Don't answer. They build the Mall of America. It's got four huge hubs, Nordstrom's and Macy's and Sears and what was the fourth one? What was it? Bloomingdale's. And then it's like, it's like a mile around each level. So it's a quarter of a mile between these hubs. And there's three levels of shops. And they're all concept stores. And you can go buy things that you never thought existed and you certainly don't need them. <laughs> and then the fourth level in the Mall of America is like one million theaters. You can go and see every movie that's been out for the last 2,000 years. So every time you go to the Mall of America, it's a different experience. It's plain old huge. Dang it. Sorry about that word. Huge. In the center of the Mall of America is the world's largest indoor theme park called... Camp Snoopy. Camp Snoopy, still called that, right? What's it called now? It's called Nickelodeon because, you know, we're capitalists and things change. Now it's called Nickelodeon, but back then it was Camp Snoopy, and it had roller coasters and flume rides and cotton candy and cotton candy and snow cones and cotton candy, right, Kate? Now, when this thing opened up, I had the privilege, the unlucky privilege, of being a youth pastor in a large church. And there was a whole group of youth pastors that decided, we're going to do, in the sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, we're going to do an all-night event for junior hires in, south, in the suburbs of South Minneapolis. 
So Bloomington and Richfield and Eden Prairie and Burnsville, we got this network of youth workers together, and we're going to put on this huge all-night event, right? It's going to start at 8 o'clock at night, and we're going to get, and this is called having a good time, we're going to get 2,000 junior hires. We're going to get 2,000 junior hires, and we're going to meet in the biggest church we can find, and we're going to do, for the first couple hours, we're going to give stuff away. We're going to have Ken Davis, who's a great speaker, Candy's brother, and Ken's going to come in, and he's going to make us all laugh, and we're going to learn about Jesus, and these guys are gonna, kids are going to come to know Christ. And then the fun gets even better, because this is, after all, called having a good time. We're going to load all these 2,000 kids into school buses. We're not going to lose any single child ever. Our parents trust us. And so we do this, and we move them from the church to the Mall of America. And you walk into the Mall of America in the middle of the night, and it's desolate. And in comes 2,000 junior hires. <laughs> We have adult volunteers strategically placed at every single exit because we are not going to lose one single junior high student. And we hang out at, at the Mall of America and we do the rides and, and we do crazy things and, and the kids run wild. Literally. <laughs> and then from there... We take them, we have to cut them in half. And half of them go to a huge Chuck E. Cheese. And the other half goes to play volleyball for a couple hours. And then we switch them again. And we're going to do this, all these people moving through the middle of the night without losing one single junior hire. Right? Now, have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese when you're hungry? I mean, you endured it best. I can't tell you how many times, and we did this event for about 10 years. I always drew the 4 to 6 a.m. leg at Chuck E. Cheese. Thinking about it right now, I'm getting nauseous. <laughs> I can't drive by the Chuck E. Cheese by our house anytime, any day, without thinking back to those all-night events and, like, getting nauseous. Now the fascinating thing about going to this event was when you walk inside to the Mall of America for the first time, it's so big, you, you will get lost. And then what do we do? We go to those kiosks. You find the nearest kiosk because you need to find out where you are. That's what's happening in this letter that Paul writes to the church of Colossae. If Jesus Christ is that cosmically, infinitely large, where are we, friends? Paul tells us in the text that we are right here. We are right here. Once you were lost, now... You are right here. You are in the presence of a loving and holy and faithful God. You have been brought into God's very unique and distinct presence. 
And how are we brought there? Through Jesus Christ himself. We're made holy, without a blemish, free of accusation, established, firm, not moved. There isn't any single one of us that are lost like a junior high student on an overnight event at the Mall of America in the eyes of God in Jesus Christ. Not a single one. Ever. See, picking up the pieces in a very chaotic, or piecing together, piecing life together in a very chaotic world, it begins with that primal notion and understanding that yes, God is that big, yet there isn't one of us that's lost. We are right here in the center of God's will no matter what. And that's a significant happening. So finding our place in this big world begins when we recognize that we are put on God's map. We really are. Once we were not, now we're right there. On God's map. And it's a conversion. It's a surrender. It's a, I give it all. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to say yes. All I got to do is say yes. And Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul goes on. He says, not only are you put on the map through Christ, you're also rooted in a community called the church. And I got your back. I'm going to take the heat for you. I'm going to be in front of the persecution so that you can find time to develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're all full-functioning members on a team that wears a uni. And I love the color of our uniforms. They're purple. The color of passion. You know? We wear, we wear, if you don't like purple, that kind of is a bummer. But that's the color of our team. We wear purple. We don't wear red. We don't wear blue. Our allegiance is, first and foremost, to the blending of red and blue, which is always purple. And we're grafted into that place. We're rooted in that community called the church. I can remember going into all kinds of locker rooms, and inevitably, in the locker rooms, it was going to read, there is no I in team. Anybody seen that? Right? There is no I in team. You know what other word doesn't contain an I? Church. There's no I in church. It's just church. We're team. That's where we are. That's our place. We wear purple. 
that's where we locate ourselves in a world that's gone crazy, but we're rooted in this team called church. Third truth Paul brings out, well, if I once was like this and now I'm on the team, and my team is a community of people that's bigger than I, what's the work of me and our team in the world? And Mindy did a fabulous job last week unpacking this for us. We really are led by God's Spirit to create anew. So that all people are made perfect. So that all of this is known to everyone. And it's to this end that Paul labors. And he struggles with every ounce of energy that he has. And that's our work too. Plain and simple. Our work is to proclaim in word and deed to all people that they are here and part of a team called Team Church. And we wear purple. Because no one should ever be lost. So our task as church is always to make peace. So we do. We find our place in the world by surrendering to, I'm going to call them three great conversions. Three great conversions. But they're really one conversion with three moves. Conversion to Christ. Because once we were, but now we're this. So there's a conversion to Christ. The second conversion is a conversion to the church. There's no I in church. And the third conversion is a conversion to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world. Three conversions, three moves to one conversion. Is that significantly confusing? Three moves, one conversion. I'm going to call these three moves three great conversions, but really it's one conversion, three aspects. Because this is where we find ourselves. There's something in this text that bothers me. It's this word perfection. Does that bother you? It bothers me. In fact, i got to read it right because I'm not perfect I need these bad boys we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ I'm wondering who that we is is it me is it you is it the church? Is it Paul? Is it other apostles? Is it the work of Christ? The Trinity? Is it all of us working together as a cohesive unit? Not sure. 
But we, laboring with God in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, may, just may, perhaps, present everyone perfect, still bothers me, didn't help much, in Christ. Here's why, it do, here's why it's, I'm, I struggle with it. Perfection is an illusion this side of heaven. It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. So I'm going to wrestle with this text, and I challenge all of us to wrestle with this text, too. I get sanctification. Perfection has been a big struggle for me my entire life. Like, I, I fill out all these surveys and, uh, you know, these personality tests, perfectionist. And then it goes on and gives you your strengths and weaknesses, right? It's so overwhelming. Because perfection doesn't exist. Yet in Christ, perhaps, it does. I, I, I know I've shared this story before. I want to close with this story. I want to challenge all of us to think we've got to be perfect at everything or it's no good. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think what Paul's actually talking about is a genuine desire to find ourselves in the expanse and infinite universe that God has created, once alienated, now reconciled through Christ, embedded on a new purple team, mobilized and sent out to just be church. Don't have to be perfect. None of us really are. But that's what it means to find ourselves here right now. A parable. There was a water bearer in India. He had two large pots. Each hung on opposite ends of a pole that he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect. The latter always delivered a full portion of water at the end of a long walk from the stream to the master's house. The cracked pot arrived only half full every single time. Every day for, for two full years, the water bearer delivered only one and a half pots of water to his master's house. The perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, graduated magna cum laude, valedictorian, because it fulfilled magnificently the purpose for which it had been made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfections, miserable that it wasn't able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After the second year of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, you know, because perfectionists are all or nothing. It's either perfect or it's complete, total, absolute, done. Loser. The unhappy pot spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself. I want to apologize to you, the pot said. Why? asked the pot. Bearer, what are you ashamed of? 
I've been able for these past two years to deliver only half of my load. There's this crack in my side, and it causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. And because of my flaws, you have to do all this work, and you don't get full value from all of your efforts, the pot said. Well, the water bearer, he felt sorry for the old cracked pot. And in his compassion, he said, as we return to the master's house today, I want you to notice what the to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. And indeed, as sure as, sure as anything, as they went up the hill, the crackpot took notice of the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path, bright in the sun's glow, and the sight cheered him up just a little bit. The bearer said to the cracked pot, did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, not on the other pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw. And I've always taken advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path only. And every single day, as we walked back from the stream, you watered them for two years. And as a result, I've been, I've been able to pick beautiful wildflowers to decorate my master's table. without you being just exactly the way you are, there would not be flowery beauty to grace the table of my master's house. It's never about perfection. It's always about our posture. Once, but now. No I in team or church. And as perfectly imperfect as, and I'm looking at you, we are. There's still flowers on the side of the road. Because God's using you to plant them. And that's how we piece life together in chaotic times. Let's pray.